Well, good morning to you. It's so good to be in the house, Lord. Amen. I just love those words. Holy. Jesus is worthy of all our praise this morning. Let me go and invite you to open our Bibles to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Um, today we're going to be looking through verses 16 um, through 29. As you're turning there, let me first just say I'm so grateful for our worship team. Um, I told Mike and Christina last week when I planned this service that I gave them all the good songs. <laughs> So I'm so grateful for them. And also, if you're watching online right now, if you're a guest here, we are so grateful for you. We're so grateful that you've chosen to come and worship with us in any way you can. So uh, with that said, let me pray for us, and then we will jump right into our text. Lord, as we've just been singing, all of heaven is declaring that King Jesus, you are Lord. Lord, my prayer this morning is simple. Oh, God, that we would respond in the same way as heaven already has. But open our eyes to see Jesus as the Son of God, who has full authority. Oh, God, and would you wreck hearts for the sake of your name today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I normally try to have some type of clever illustration or story to start us off. But I'm just going to be honest with you. The passage this morning is so clear. It's so simple to understand. So I'm just going to let... The text speak for itself. Um, in our passage this morning, John wants us to see that unlike the office of the president of America or other offices of human government, there is a king named Jesus who is both God and man who sits on an eternal throne in heaven and whose kingdom will never fade. He wants us to see that Jesus is the son of God that has received from his father all authority over life and death, and that his kingship and lordship demands our life. That this all-powerful God, who reigns over everything, whose breath holds the universe in place, is also in the business of saving reckless sinners such as you and I. And today, he is calling us to recognize that he is God, Savior, and Lord, and for us to humbly bow before him as the Lord of our lives. So our main idea this morning is that Jesus, the Son of God, has received all authority over life and death, which demands our obedience and trust in him. So with that in mind, let's humbly jump into our passage. Verse 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Now we need to remind ourselves of what happened last week. Remember, Jesus heals the official son, then he goes up to Jerusalem. Remember, he goes to a sheep gate, he goes to a pool called Bethsaida, and he heals a man who's been sick for 38 years. Now, I want you to notice something back in verses 8 and 9 really quickly. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once, at once, church, the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. But notice the next phrase. Now, that day was the Sabbath. So, so because Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath, the religious leaders absolutely freak out, don't they? The Sabbath was everything to the Jewish people. God had told Israel in the law that there were, they were to keep the Sabbath, that they had, to, had the opportunity to work for six days, but on that seventh day, they had to have a day of rest, a day dedicated to the Lord for his worship. You see, the Sabbath was meant to be something good for the people. It was meant to be a time when they could physically rest from a busy week of work, but it was also a day dedicated to the Lord. 
However, sadly, by the time of Jesus, these religious leaders had taken this command like, to an entirely new level. On top of God's law that he had given Israel to follow, these religious leaders began adding more and more stuff to do. Israel, you have to do these specific things in order to be uh, ceremonially clean. Here we see that these leaders are accusing Jesus of breaking one of their man-made laws. But notice how Jesus responds in verse 17. He says, my father is working until now, and I am working. So, so get this picture. Jesus is basically like on a trial. And they're asking this question, Jesus, why in the world did you heal this man on the Sabbath? Who do you think you are? Do you think you're better than us? Notice Jesus' response. Jesus says, in essence, that I am the Son of God. I'm God in flesh. It's, it's, it's amazing, this a breathtaking response. Jesus says, I am God incarnate, and you're talking to the one who created you, and you're asking me why I'm doing what I do. Jesus meets these religious leaders exactly at a place where they would agree that even though God rested on the seventh day after working six days to create the world, technically, God never actually rests because if he did, this entire thing we call universe would collapse. God the Father is constantly at work sustaining the universe. And Jesus says, in the same way, my Father is working every day to sustain and providentially care for his creation. I likewise then am working. You see, the Son of God never stops working because his Father never stops working. Our triune God is always on the move. Now notice the religious leader's response to Jesus' claim in verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking what? All the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, now to us sitting in the room post-cross, post-resurrection, post-conversion, we don't have any problem with what Jesus says, do we? Yes, Jesus is God, amen? He is absolutely God. But for the religious leaders of this day, they just seen Jesus as just like a carpenter's son from Nazareth who now lives in Galilee. In every sense of the word, they saw Jesus' claim as blasphemy. Like, like how in the world could this guy from Galilee be God in flesh? How dare Jesus claim that he is God? Like, Jesus, you deserve to die. Jesus was claiming that he was God and that he had authority even over the Sabbath. By the way, something that only God has authority over. And these religious leaders want to know how Jesus could claim such a thing. How, can we, how could they know that Jesus is the Son of God that has been given full authority? And by the way, that's our question this morning. How could we know that Jesus is the Son of God and has been given full authority? So for our remaining time, I want to point out three ways we can know that Jesus is the Son of God and has been given full authority. Based on Jesus' actual response in verses 19 and 29. Now stick with me here. In each of the main points, we'll have a few subpoints to clarify what we're seeing. Um, but at the very end, I'm going to ask us two foundational questions that each one of us must answer this morning. So number one, how do we know that Jesus is the Son of God that has been given full authority. Number one, Jesus does what only his father can do. Jesus does what only his father can do. So in this first point, I want you to see three things that Jesus can do. Read with me at verses 19 and 20. 
So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves his son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. So the first thing that I want you to see is that Jesus can only do what he sees his father doing. See, the fact that Jesus is the son, that the son can only do what... Uh, uh, can do nothing of his own accord does not express his inabilities but it emphasizes the complete unity the complete unity of purpose among the persons of the trinity jesus jesus isn't on his own mission he isn't just wandering on the battlefield doing what he wants to do nope jesus is perfectly unified with his father Quote, he's perfectly in sync with his father. He's not a second God come to steal the worship and adoration that belongs to the true God. No, Jesus is the true God and he and the father are one. You see, Jesus says he only does what he sees his father doing. In other words, they are the perfect team. Love basketball, huge basketball fan. The 92 Dream Teams considered the best sports team in history. 96 Bulls, considered the best NBA team in history. Arguably, 26-17, the Warriors is pretty good too. But they have nothing compared to the perfect team of Jesus and his Father. We see here that the Father and Son have different functions and roles in the work of redemption. It's the Father who sends the Son into the world for our redemption. It's the Son who acquires our redemption for us. And it's the Spirit that applies that redemption to us. We don't have three gods. We have one God and three persons, and the three persons are distinguished in terms of what they do. So here we see the beautiful and perfect relationship between the Father and Son and the Son's willingness to do His Father's will. In God's eternal sovereign economy, the Father sends a Son, and the Son is submissive to the Father, doing everything He's commanded to do and only doing what He sees His Father doing. Secondly, Jesus gives life. Back in 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Now back in verse 20, Jesus says that his Father shows him all that he's doing and that he will show Jesus greater works than these so that they may marvel. So what works is Jesus referencing? And secondly, what works are going to be greater than these present works? So we know in context then that Jesus is referencing the healing of the man, right? Jesus healed a man, 38 years sick. Like, like, what's more impressive than healing a man who's been sick for 38 years immediately? Jesus answers this in 21 through 22. He says, just as my father raises the dead and gives life, so what? I give life to anyone I want. Simply said, Jesus can give life. This again would have caused the religious leaders to kind of perk up because they knew according to the Old Testament that only God could raise the dead to life. Notice 1 Samuel 2, 6. A lot of this is going to be on screen so you don't have to flip. The Lord kills and what? Brings to life. He brings down the Sheol and what? Raises up. God alone can raise the dead. He alone created the universe, and he alone has the power to speak and have dead bodies listen. 
Jesus here in verse 21 says that just as his father raises dead bodies to life, he can give life to anyone he chooses. Jesus says in John 10, 17 through 18, for this reason the father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down to my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. See, just as Jesus has the authority to raise his own body from the grave, he also has authority over every body and soul to give life to whomever he chooses. Jesus is the life giver. And by the way, this is something only God can do. But Jesus don't stop here. Notice in verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So the third thing we see is that Jesus has been given authority to judge. You see, Jesus claims to be not only the giver of all life, but also the king and judge of the entire universe. I wrote a song a couple years back about Jesus' return. We sang it here a few times. And in the first verse, it always says, the once suffering servant will one day be the righteous king. When Jesus claims to have been given all judgment, what he's saying in essence is, I am God, I am ruler of the world. Both in Genesis 18.25, Judges 11.27, God is recognized as the judge of all the earth. You see, our God is the one king and judge of the universe. And one day, every person will have to answer to him. He is the one we have sinned against, and he is the one who sees true justice flow like a mighty river. This is amazing. This passage blew me away this week. What the New Testament tells us is that this king, this judge, this God has a name, and his name is Jesus. Notice Acts 10, 39 through 42. Peter here is speaking to Cornelius uh, in his household, which is kind of a symbolism of the Gentiles and hearing the gospel. In the middle of Peter's uh, uh, sermon, so to speak, he says, And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to who uh, put to us who has been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank after him after he rose from the dead. Verse 42 is mind-blowing. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that what? He is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Quote, Jesus is making a clear statement of deity and authority by revealing his ability to do works only God can do. Jesus has the authority to give a person life. He has authority to judge men. These two characteristics are unique to God. And if Jesus has the authority to do them, then we have to say he must be God. So how do we know that Jesus is the son of God and has been given full authority? Number one, Jesus does what only his father can do. Number two, Jesus receives worship only his Father deserves. Pick up with me at verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that what? All may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father 
who sent him. So in these two verses, I want you to see three realities of the worship of Jesus. First is that God does not give his authority to another. Mike just literally quoted this passage. I feel like the Spirit's telling us something today. Isaiah 42, 8. God says, I am the Lord. That is my name. What? My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Simply said, if God Almighty does not give his authority to anyone else, then how can Jesus' claim be true? Our God does not share his fame, amen? He alone is to be worshiped and adored. And since this is true, then how can Jesus receive all honor and glory if he himself isn't God? But in fact, Jesus is God, which leads us to our second reality, that Jesus has been given authority to judge so that he may receive all honor to the glory of his Father. If you've been in this church long enough, we know this passage very well. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him who? Jesus. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, because of Jesus' obedience at the cross to forgive us of our sins and because of his resurrection from the dead, Jesus has now been given the name that's above every name. He is now the king above all kings and he is now to be worshiped above all all other things, all to the glory of his Father. Yes, brothers and sisters, a suffering servant has truly become the righteous king, and every knee must bow in humble worship. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it. I'm going to give you a little homework assignment for this week. I'm going to encourage you to go and read 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28. And this is what I want you to see in the passage. I want you to see how the authority and worship of Jesus, um, how, how all that connects to the glory of his Father. And I want you to see how God will one day put everything under his authority. So I'm going to give you a little teaser. Uh, this is absolutely an amazing passage. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28. Now, third reality. To not worship Jesus as the true God is to not worship his Father. Verse 23. It says, That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. See, now Jesus is the center of all worship. I love that song that we sing all the time. It says that Jesus is the theme of heaven's praises. He is the centrality of God's worship. In other words... In order for us to give God-pleasing worship, Jesus must be the center of all that we do. To worship the Father, then, we must worship the Son. Like our prayer every single week is that you behold Jesus. You don't need to see us. You need us as much as you need a Twinkie. We're nothing. We're We're not even the worship leader. Jesus is the true worship leader. Our goal each week is to point you to the true worship leader. If you leave this service, and if you haven't heard the good news of Christ and haven't seen his beauty, then we didn't do our job right. 
If you worship Jesus as the true God, you worship his Father. So, how do we know that Jesus is the Son of God and has been given full authority? Number one, Jesus does what only his Father can do. Number two, Jesus receives worship only his Father deserves. And number three, Jesus has power only his Father can claim. Jesus has power only his Father can claim. And in this section, I want you to see four examples of Jesus' power. Verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and it's now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and what? Those who hear will live. So first example, Jesus' word gives spiritually dead souls new life. We've already mentioned that God alone has the power to give life. And Jesus said that he's already uh, has the power to give life to anyone he chooses. But the question is, what does that actually look like? And I'm just reminded of that picture of Ezekiel 37. Valley of dry bones. God tells Ezekiel to prophesy over these bones. And what happens? These dead bones begin to develop bodies. And after they have bodies, God breathes breath in their lungs and they have life brothers and sisters this is the picture that we have of Jesus' authority in his word in verse 25 the statement and is now here in verse 25 points to a present reality that Jesus' powerful word just like the picture of God's word in Ezekiel 37 is able to give life to those who are dead spiritually this work is here now Jesus has the power to give life to spiritually dead souls now. Those who are separated from God, those who don't have the spirit dwelling within them. According to Ephesians 2, if we're outside of Christ, we are dead in our sins, but praise be to God, Jesus. Jesus has the power to give us spiritually dead sinners new eternal life. And listen, that starts right now. This new life Jesus gives us us through his death and resurrection begins now what will one day be forever in heaven has begun now through the power of jesus and the gift of his spirit inside of us john 10 27 through 30 says my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me i give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. See, when Jesus calls you his, listen, you are his. The king has spoken. There's no second guessing. There are no arguments to be found. When the God of life speaks your name, you are his. And what this passage tells us is that this work cannot be undone. Jesus explains how this is possible in verse 26, which is, by the way, our second example, that for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Secondly, then, Jesus has life in himself. This, again, again points back to creation. Before creation existed, God already existed. He was already there. He's not dependent on another source for life because G, or God is the source of life itself. He is the definition of life. All life comes from him because 
He is the source of life. Likewise, Jesus says that the Father has granted to have life in himself. John 1, 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Simply said, because Jesus is a source of life itself, he is able to give spiritually dead souls new life. Which leads us to our third example. Jesus, the Son of Man has been given authority to judge. Say that again. Jesus, the Son of Man, has been given authority to judge. Jump back in at verse 27. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Jesus here is referencing Daniel 7, 13 through 14, where the prophesied Son of Man has received an eternal kingdom and dominion over all things. Let's read that passage together real quick. It's on the screen again. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that what? All peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is saying that he is the fulfillment of this vision, that he is the son of man that Daniel saw. Now, growth groups are going to dive more into what this title of son of man means. Um, so, I'm not, so I'm just going to encourage you to go to your groups this week to have more of an in-depth discussion about this title. Um, but this is what I want you to see this morning. Because Jesus is the Son of Man, he has now received an eternal dominion. He's received an eternal kingdom. And since he is the king and judge of the universe, he is to receive all glory and worship from all nations, tribes, and tongues. And brothers and sisters, this should be encouraging for all of us this morning. I don't know about you, uh, but I could surely hear some good news that something in life isn't unshaken. 2020, uh, I think we could all can say, has not been one of the best years in, in least recent uh, history. It's good news this morning that something is firm and solid. That though sickness and racial inequality exist in our world right now, that there is a king on his throne ruling and reigning. Amen? That though wickedness and injustices prevail all around us, everything ultimately what? Must answer to the one on the throne. He's not shaken by the craziness of this world, but absolutely in charge of everything. Everything must bow before King Jesus. And this includes sickness and disease, racism and hatred and sin and wickedness. Jesus' eternal kingdom is centered on justice and righteousness, holiness and perfection. And in verse 27, we see that Jesus, the Son of Man, has received authority to execute judgment. And what we see in our final two verses is that one day, all of humanity will answer to our coming king. So that leads us to our fourth example. Jesus' word will raise every dead physical body on the last day. Verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. 
those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This passage is a sobering reminder that every person in human history must one day answer to God. Listen, when Jesus comes again, there will not be one person exempt from his court. Carson says, the voice of the Son is powerful enough to generate spiritual life now, and it will be powerful enough to call forth the dead then. When Jesus comes again, every dead human corpse in human history will rise when he speaks. And notice that every person will stand before the king to give an account to whom they belong. When you see there that those who have done good and those who have done evil, this does not imply that people's deeds in this life are the basis on which judgment is pronounced. Instead, good works function as evidence of true faith. So how do I know I'm a Christian? Because the fruit of being a Christian bursts forth in my life. And listen, when Jesus calls every dead body from the grave, his judgment will be based on if you believed in him and if you were covered with his righteousness. Really good news for the believer this morning. But brothers and sisters, please do not miss this fact. When Jesus returns, it will not just be a huge party in paradise for everybody. Those who are not in Christ, who do not believe in Jesus, will be sentenced to an eternal hell, separated from God forever. Jesus gives us this vivid picture in Matthew 25. He says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. And He will place his sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And drop down to verse 41, it says, Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me. You curse into the eternal fire prepared for the devils and his angels. King Jesus will come back one day, and when he does, righteousness and holiness will reign. He is coming back for his people, and oh, what a day that will be. We, his people from every nation and tongue, will worship around the throne of our God forever and ever. But friend who is in this room, friend who's watching online, who has never put their faith in Jesus, please hear this warning. If you do not put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, one day, one day you will have to answer to the king. And this is the charge against you. Are you mine or are you not? So, how do we know that Jesus is the Son of God and has been given full authority? Number one, Jesus does what only his Father can do. Number two, Jesus receives worship only his Father deserves. And number three, Jesus has power only his Father can claim. So what? How, how do we respond to all this? Like, like in the middle of a pandemic... How do we respond to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and has been given full authority? Like, like, how does that apply to us right now? This pandemic has flipped this upside down. 
where disunity and hatred, brokenness, confusion reign supreme, how do we apply this truth in our lives? And obviously, we could spend an entire other sermon applying this text to our lives. But this morning, I want to simply ask us two foundational questions that each one of us must answer. First question, have you heard and believed in Jesus, the Son of God? Have you heard and believed in Jesus, the Son of God? Go back to verse 24 with me. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has what? Eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus says, if you hear his word and believe in him, you have life. And by the way, that life is both now and eternal. Jesus promises that we will be brought from death to life. The old is gone. Behold what? The new has come. Relationship over ritualism. Righteousness in place of unworthiness. Sinfulness replaced by holiness. Jesus Christ came, took our sinner's crown, and put it on himself at the cross. And through his death and resurrection and our faith in him, he now places his crown of righteousness on us. And brothers and sisters, isn't that grace? We who were once alienated from God, dead in our sins, worthy of eternal wrath, are now forgiven, holy, righteous, and adopted sons and daughters of God Almighty through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what does it mean to hear and believe? And I could not help but to think about Luke 9, 23, my favorite passage in the Bible. You can turn there with me if you'd like. Luke 9, 23. huge crowd following him. Jesus says what it looks like to be his follower. He says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So what does it mean to hear and believe? A couple thoughts. First is that we must behold Jesus as our greatest treasure who died for our sins and who has risen from the grave to give us new life. We've got to behold Jesus this morning. Secondly, we must realize that we are separated from God because of our sin and we must repent from our sin. We must turn away from our sin and go towards Jesus. We must put our full trust in Jesus knowing that he alone can save us and listen, we must recognize that Jesus is Lord of everything, including our lives, including our lives, and fully surrender to him daily. Notice that word daily. Following him no matter the cost. And brothers and sisters, that is a question every single one of us, young and old, have to answer today. Have we heard from Jesus and do we believe in Jesus? Second question. Believer, does every aspect of your life reflect your submission to the authority of Jesus, the Son of God? Does every aspect of your life reflect your submission to the authority of Jesus, the Son of God? Throughout this week, I have been wrecked by this passage, obviously with all the incredible claims, but I've been wrecked more than anything with my own sin, my own depravity. That... that my life really doesn't always reflect what I say I believe. I mean, we're talking that Jesus is God over everything. He's the Lord of everything, including our lives. Yet, 
it isn't in my nature to actually like to listen to those who have authority over me in this life. I don't like being told what to do. By the way, you don't either. I mean, let's just be real here. The reason many of us in this room are not wearing face masks is not because we don't think COVID-19 is serious. It's because we just don't want to wear one. It's a pride thing. It's a comfort thing. We as good old Southern Americans believe no one can tell us what we should do. And brothers and sisters, that mindset in and of itself isn't a reflection of our identity in Jesus. It's a reflection of our humanity. There's this false response of the gospel. You know it. If you grew up in the South, that if you say a prayer, right? Say a prayer, sign a card, shake the preacher's hand, you're saved. But then the rest of the week, you can just do whatever you want to. It doesn't matter. <laughs> can I just say this? That's not the gospel. That's not the response to the gospel. Jesus demands our very life, period. He's the king of the universe, and he says, to be mine, you must believe and surrender everything you are to me. If you're a Christian, this means that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Every way, he is the God over everything. So the question, does everything in your life, every aspect of it, reflect your submission to the authority of Jesus? Does the way you work at your job do homework for school, wash the dishes at your house, the way you love your spouse and children, how you use your time each day, what you watch, what you listen to, the efforts and time you invest in other people, how you love your neighbor, the time you spend studying God's word, the time you pray, the time you sing to the Lord, how consistently you are at church, <laughs> how you share the gospel, how you go on mission for Christ and brothers and sisters, yes, how you respond in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. Does every aspect of your life reflect your submission to the authority of Jesus? Romans 14 says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to what? To the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. We knew Matthew 28 well. Jesus has received all authority, heaven and earth, so what? We go. We go. We live for Christ. We die for Christ. Everything we are and everything we do is to be fully surrendered to him for his glory and renown. This world doesn't need more hypocrites. This world doesn't need more half-hearted Christians who don't reflect Jesus. Jesus says in Revelation 3, he's going to spit those people out. This world needs fully surrendered, passionately in love followers of Jesus who do their best each day by the grace of God to proclaim and reflect Jesus' love and mercy and eternal reign to the world all around us. So brothers and sisters, may every aspect of our lives reflect our submission to the authority of Jesus, the Son of God, all to his glory in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Or what can we say? What can we do? But offer this heart, God, completely to you.
Lord, we have been overwhelmed this morning by the incredible truths and claims that you have said about yourself, that you are the Son of God. And Lord, we indeed see and know that you are the Son of God, God in flesh, God with us. And Lord, you promise in verse 24, those who hear your word, hear your voice, who believe in you, Lord Jesus, you will give them eternal life, both now and forever. And brother, and God, I just, I pray at this moment, Lord, just for those in this room, those who listen online, those who listen to the podcast later on, but I don't know where they are in life. I don't even know if they know you, God. Lord, I know that your word is true. Lord, I pray that you would call those outside of you that don't have a relationship with you, would you call them to yourself this morning? Would you open their eyes to see Jesus, the Son of God, crucified and raised, all for their sin, all to be forgiven? When I pray for myself, for everyone in this room, everyone online, God, that our faith isn't shallow. But that our faith just isn't words. That our faith isn't just a bunch of knowledge. But I pray our faith will be evident in our life. Every aspect of it, God, would you take complete control of it? And Lord, I pray that we would live for your glory and renown. Where we love our spouse. Where we love you. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us. Thank you.